Here's Paul Stanley to tell you why he doesn't want to shake your hand. Some people might have a little rock and roll pneumonia. Ugh, not even cold gin will kill those germs. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Ah, uh, yes, uh, Paul Stanley of KISS. Uh, as you've noticed, uh, welcome, by the way, to uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. I did not use the uh, show intro, the normal show intro. I went with my Paul Stanley of KISS bumper, and there's a reason for that. And uh, as you noticed, there were no shows last week. That is because I was in Manchester, New Hampshire, to see the opening night of the David Lee Raw kiss tour and it was spectacular and i know fans online are like oh this and that listen i don't do the hate thing i had a great time i heard a lot of classic tracks classic songs and it was fun it was fun kiss blew some shit up i ain't gonna complain so i loved it if you have a chance and you're a fan of the music go see daily roth and kiss there are Probably five to seven years left between Ozzy and Kiss and David and Alice Cooper and David Coverdale and Foreigner before these bands disappear forever. And our music, our music is relegated to the uh, back pages of history like Frank Sinatra, like uh, Dean Martin, like, uh, boy, oh boy, Elvis Presley and the Beatles. You know, all these bands that our parents grew up with that they can no longer see. And so... You know, I really don't think that in 2027 we will be seeing Kiss. We will be seeing Motley Crue. We will be seeing even Metallica, quite frankly. I don't. I, I just don't know. I don't. I don't think so. So go to the show. Go see David Lee Roth and Kiss. Enjoy the moment. It is going to be one of the last moments. Maybe there'll be another one, but we're down to the last one or two or three moments before these guys stop, and we'll never see it again. Enjoy what you've got. Is it 1985? No, it's not 1985. But I'm not 1985. My back is not 1985. The the way I look, I talk, my, my stomach is not 1985, you know. So just, you know, cut people some slack and just go have a good time. You know, I don't drink, but go have a couple of beers or whatever and sit back and just watch Kiss blow stuff up. Watch David Lee Roth jump in Panama and all his great songs and just enjoy it. Anyway, uh... Part of the reason uh, I also started with this is that uh, Ray Luzier uh, was once David Lee Roth's uh, drummer. He is, of course, now in Corn. Their new album is The Nothing, but he's also with KXM, and they have a new album out called Circle of Dolls. And I had a chance to uh, sit with Ray when the Corn uh, tour came through uh, Montreal at the Bell Center end of January, and I'm going to run the interview as is. Uh, you will hear uh, people coming in and out of the room. You're going to hear my buddy Jeremy White, uh, the, the, you know, uh, coming into the conversation and so on and so But I like the vibe and I like the energy of, of the interview the way it is. It's per- I mean, it's great. It's, it's fun to listen to. Uh, and I think all, all this stuff that goes on is actually charming. Is that a word? Can we, can we say charming on a rock show? Is that a, it's like saying delightful on a rock show. You know, the David Lee Roth uh, opening set was delightful. I guess there are some words as a rock reporter you're not supposed to use. But anyway, uh, the chat was uh, charming. I'm just going to say it. it was charming. And I think you're going to enjoy it. And I think, it's, anyway, you're going to hear it as is. I'm cutting nothing out. Um, and that, of course, and I've said it a million times, that's the concept of the show. You get the interviews, warts and all. Once in a while, what I'll do is, you know, 
when I ask a question and a person takes a little bit to, you know, I go, hey, tell me about your new album. And they go, hmm, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll cut that three or four seconds out just to tighten it up a bit. But content-wise, I cut nothing out. But on this one, I'm not tightening up anything. You're just going to get straight. You're going to love it. You're going to thank me for it, I guess, right? You're going you're gonna to retweet it to all your followers, and you're going to share it on Facebook because the more people listen to the show the bigger guests I can get. And those of you that have been here from the beginning, you get to hear all the small guests, but then you get to hear some bigger guests. So everybody wins. So tweet it out. Do me a favor. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Share these links. Anyone. Spotify, Deezer, iHeart, whatever whatever platform you're hearing it on, share it. Uh, and on that, let me share my interview with drummer Ray Luzier. So here we go. As we say in French, le voici, le seul, le unique, the one, the only, drummer, Ray Luzier. We are speaking with a drummer, Ray Luzier, of course, of Korn and formerly of the David Lee Roth band. Uh, bonjour, Day. Uh, yes. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh. Leave that. Oh. oh, that was awesome. Hello, David. <laughs> People. That was awesome. Listen, folks, he's been doing David Lee Roth uh, <laughs> imitations for the last five minutes, but uh, welcome to Montreal. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks a lot for having me, Mitch. It's good to be here. Zippity bop. Yeah. No, it's great to be here. It's awesome. I love playing Canada. I love, I just did the drum fest. I was, we were in Quebec yesterday, and there's, uh, we did the drum festival right there. I stayed at that same hotel, and I just love the people up here. I, I did a short parole drums uh, jaunt across the country a few years back. I just love it. It's just, what a vibe. And you guys are so nice. Why don't you be meaner? I know. We, we definitely need to be meaner, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into mean. But let, let's quickly talk about this tour with uh, Break and Benjamin, the, the Nothing Corn Tour. Um, talk to me about how that's going and what's sort of the plan for this. Are we going to do sort of a two-year cycle, or are we itching to get back in the studio and get the next new album out? No, we're definitely, uh, to me, it feels like we're just starting the cycle, even though we did all summer with Alice in Chains, and it was a very great tour. That, that was one of my favorite tours I've ever been on. Those guys are top-notch, and let alone we've all been Chains fans forever. Um, but the record came out uh, right after that, so we're kind of, to me, I feel like we're just starting the nothing. You know, we were playing You'll Never Find Me, the first single, and on this tour, we added um, Cold and we added um, Can You Hear Me to the set list, which if it was up to me, I'd play the whole record. I love playing fresh, new stuff. You know, it's, it just has a feeling about it, a vibe. But in the Corn catalog, there's over 180 songs, so it's like, you know. I'll just give them a pair of tickets. Okay. Sorry about that. No we, got, we are in mid-day uh, of, the, of the concert here. But anyway, um, yeah, it's like I love playing fresh stuff. Corn has over 180 songs in the catalog. So, of course, if you don't play those deeper cuts, you're, you're ticking off certain old-school fans. But a lot of people just discovered Korn on the last couple of records. So and there was a kid yesterday, he has Serenity of Suffering and the Nothing, and that's it. So it's like, that's awesome. He only knows the last two records. And we, he heard Blind, and he heard Freak on a Leash. But, you know, uh, that's a good place to be in, though. It's not a bad problem when you have 25 years, you know. This is my 13th year with the band, which is insane to me. I remember when I got the gig in 07, Fieldy goes, yeah, we got another year or two left in us. Here we are in 2020, stronger than ever, you know. Yeah, so, so then talk to me about then about the importance of new music, because it is easy when you become, I don't want to say a heritage act, because you're not like, yeah. <laughs> you're not at the Motley Crue, a, a yeah. poison stage, but you could easily just go do 15 songs that everybody yeah. knows right. and go home 
you know, you look at uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah. Just, I just interviewed Don Brewer yesterday. Oh, wow. They haven't done an album since 1983. Yeah. And I said, well, are you going to do new music? He goes, why? Right. Haven't <laughs> been doing right. this since 1983. Right. Nobody cares. That's, well, and, and, and that's, that's, I agree with that to an extent, but I also agree that new music keeps you fresh and moving and motivated. And there's too much music in corn not to write new stuff. We're always coming up with new ideas. John calls me over to his room. Dude, check this out. I'm working on this thing. We all have like a little mini, mini studios back here. And it's, it's too, we're too creative. And we still feel, even though we're all 47 to 50 years old now, mm-hmm. we still have that energy that we did. And it still burns in us. Look, like, I'm 50 and I have yeah. no energy. <laughs> yeah it's it's well yeah it definitely slows down but rock and roll keeps you young but it's like you know you we still have so much in us to do and it's we have so, we're so high playing these new songs if we had to play freak on a leash and blind and you know make me bad every day it wouldn't, years, it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't be bad but at the same time it would be like okay here we go again it gets kind of boring when you add something new in there or a deep cut and you freak out a corn fan we're like whoa what the heck man you know so we, that it's important to us, but I understand that there's bands like that to go out and just play the same old hits. And but I mean to do stuff on this level, I mean we sold out almost every show in that shed tour last summer, and that's saying a lot for a band that's been around 25 years. You know, so it, it could see us if we were playing some club somewhere, but to do it on this level and to keep going, it's it's a good feeling. You know, talk to me a little bit about the the process you go through when recording for the album and recording drums because you know there there is that. Old school mentality of four on the four, you four on the floor, you play what you play, and that's it. And then yeah. there's the new sort of method of just do anything, and we'll just fix everything. Yeah. No, well, that's the thing. And, and producer producer Nick Raskulenix, who we've used on the last two records, and has done the Black Star Riders. Yes, and so many others that we all love, from Deftones to the last the two Rush, the last two Rush records. Come on, he's got st- videos of Neil that just had tears in my eyes. I mean, it's just yeah. insane. So, uh, with that, he's really, he's a fan. There's a lot of producers that come in with their white khaki pants and they sit back and go, ah, you know, okay, guys, what do you got? What do you have? Nick is like hat on backwards, you know, hair swinging, got drumsticks in his hand. All right, what do you got? And he's in there while you're recording. He's in the room while you're tracking. There's no, none of this like, I'm too cool to be in there kind of thing. He's a fan and he actually gets what the music's supposed to feel like. That's a key word, feel. That's one thing to say, like, hey, let's try to write a hit song. Let's try to... Nick is like, look, I'm a corn fan from way back. No offense to the records I haven't produced in the last years, but I'm missing the feeling it used to get. And I was like, wow. I No producer, they're always worried about sounds and tones. And so that was a big deal. And uh, when we got into write the nothing, it was how it usually is. It's me, head monk for a while. And then Reggie comes down, and this time John was there a lot. Um, he would come down, we'd go to L.A. Me and Head live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and the other three in L.A. So we went back and forth a lot. And I tracked the drums at Nick's place, and we did guitars in uh, Rock Falcon in Nashville. And then um, John did his vocals in our studio in Bakersfield, California. Nick, Nick has got the greatest sound. I, I know a lot of folks in North America don't know Black Star Riders. Yeah. But he just delivers this rock and roll feeling, and then he goes and does Rush, and then he goes and does you, and he makes you sound like you, and he makes Rush sound like Rush. It's amazing. Uh, Speaking of Rush, um, I first saw them in 81 at the Montreal Forum. That album ended up being Exit Stage Left. That's what they were recording. 
so here we are in Montreal. You're a fan. He Neil has passed away. Rest in peace. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about Neil and give me a little sort of Canadian content because he's 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 not just a drummer. No, no, no. He's he was the, the one of the best soul. I had the fortunate opportunity to meet him at the L.A. Drum Off years ago. And uh, Chris Stanky, who uh, a lot of people don't know, he's the Sabian rep. When Neil did his cymbal line, which was a very huge deal to, I mean, the cymbal, creating a cymbal line is so hard. I mean, I have my own signature stick on Vic Firth. It's a little easier. A cymbal line, that's like, it's drums and cymbals. That's it. Like what you're hearing on records, what you're hearing a lot. For Neil, they went back and forth so many times, you know, and so... They got. I love the Paragon cymbals. I play. There's, there's three on my kit tonight, uh, to this day. So um, Neil was one of those guys. When I grew up on the farm in Pennsylvania, I would just play along the records. I didn't know what was hard to play or what. When you're not even a teenager yet, I knew that Back in Black was on, and then Moving Pictures, and then. And I always knew that when Moving Pictures would come on, I'd be like, "Wow, this is a lot harder to play than Back in Black or the the Van Halen record," you know. So it was, you know. I knew that he had a certain skill even way back then. And then years and years go by, and, and uh, I got to say hi to him at that, and he, he gave me a great compliment. He, I have a side trio band called the Hideous Sun Demons, and Chris Stanky from Sabian actually played him a couple tracks, and he said, my, my playing was very musical. He goes, you don't play typical drums. You have a very musical style. And I'm like, you're the professor. Just you saying that is like, it blew me away. And I just, you know, forever uh, appreciate him. And he'll live on forever. His music will never, ever die. Oh, you know? And what's amazing is people know him as Rush, but if you go to YouTube, you can see him do some jazz stuff. Yeah. And you just go, oh. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of drummers that just, they play in their pocket. Yeah. And then you give them some other style and they're like, yeah, they freak uh, out. They freak out. Yeah. Uh, in your answer, you mentioned, of course, Van Halen. Uh, the, my next show is David Lee Roth opening for, for Kiss. You, of course, were David Lee Ross, drummer. Um, talk to me a little bit about that experience, because that's where we got to know each other through that. Yeah. Uh, what was it like having him as the front man? Did, you know, there you're sitting in the back, and you look out every night, and you see, oh, that's that's the front man. Yeah, yeah. This, there's, you know, I lived in L.A. 26 years, and I don't really get starstruck over too many mm-hmm. people. Everyone's a human. We're all the same. But there are people that are like cartoon characters to me. And, and when I, you know, I had that Us Festival poster hanging on my the door size poster since I was 10 in Pittsburgh growing up. And then to be stand, playing drums behind the actual guy. There wasn't one night I didn't look out and go, that's David Lee Roth in front of me. And I'm playing Hot for Teacher that I practice in my bedroom in my underwear. How hard is that to play, <laughs> by the way? It's, it's cooking. I mean, we would open with it a lot. So um, it's... You know, like I said, you never get used to that. You know, he's very eccentric. He's very out there, but that's what makes him Diamond Dave. You know, I learned a lot. It was like going to the school of rock. I mean, he he taught me how to be an entertainer. He's like, don't just sit back there and play drums. People are paying money to see you too, and don't have that waiting for the bus look on your face. And I was like, man, I do. I hate that too when I go see a band and a drummer looks like he's totally not even there. And it's like, come on, man, get into. It. I want to feel what you're feeling. Like if I go to a show. That's why you go to live shows. You want to experience. You want to feel the energy. You can't get that off of YouTube. You can't get that off of a DVD or whatever. So that that never left my head, you know, from Army of Anyone, my last band, to now 13 years with Korn. It, you know, that whole thing of, like, you don't have to be a ham or show off kind of thing, but definitely give it the energy that you're feeling. You know, when you see me up there with Korn, I'm feeling what I'm playing. You're going to get that off of me, you know. I, you know, there's no 
two ways about it. Right, you're not painting by numbers. Um, no. You've been, of course, in another in a side project with George Lynch and Doug Pinnock of King's X. Yep. Uh, KXM. Yes. Uh, three albums deep. Now the new one, Circle of Dolls, recently released. Talk to me about that side project and the importance for you ha- to have that other outlet and not just be, I'm the corn guy, I'm the corn guy, I'm the right. corn guy, and have this sort of creative freedom to go do something that's different. It's, it's, we all have side things that we do. You know, We all have different interests, and it keeps you musical, keeps you motivated. And uh, the thing about KXM, we don't spend any time. It's literally we write a song a day. And I'm tracking drums by the end of the day. And then basic tracks are done. George's rhythms, Doug's bass, my drums. And then we move on the next day. But that's got to be refreshing. It is, but it's also hard. It's not exactly easy because some some days you hit roadblocks. You're like, whoa, this ain't really happening. But our rule is by the end of the day, we're tracking drums and the basics. And we've done all three records that way. So there's no pre-production. There's no, oh, let's get together for three weeks and rehearse. So it takes nothing away from corn. You know, I'm literally... 100% 100% into, into corn, but to have that little outlet, I'm always doing sessions and records, and um, we were talking earlier about the guy's record I just did, we'll announce later, but uh, you can talk about that when it gets announced, but um, we all, it just helps us out, you know what I mean, it helps our brains grow, you know, there's, Monkey's got this new rig in his, in, in his dressing room right now that has all these cool sounds on it you know john's always writing stuff you know fieldy has another stillwell record they're working on right now you know right. head's always doing stuff it's like it's just part of and then when we get together that makes us grow a little bit more and mature as a band i think it's so nice to hear a band that's still vital and still doing stuff there are so many bands that have been around like you for over 20 years yeah. that just sort of gave up yeah they're on the greatest hits tour for yep. 15 years yep. um let me just quickly get back to some Canadian content. One of our great classic rock bands is the Killer Dwarves. Yeah. And their guitarist is Jerry Finn yeah. that you have been in a disco band with. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about your association with the Killer Dwarves. I love it. Me and Jerry would put on the disco wigs. I had like this John Travolta looking thing with gold chains and polyester. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's a Saturday night. There you go. Well, there you go. I, lo- I tell you what, like I, it's funny because I would... I would get these gigs, and there's an organization called Perfect World Entertainment in L.A., and they have 18 bands from coast to coast. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to see my buddy playing to put this big Afro wig on. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? He's like, what am I doing? He'd whip out a wad full of cash and go, I just made this in two hours. And I'm like, I need some of that because what I would get off the Jakey Lee tour or in, anybody, Arcade from Stephen Piercy, I would, any of those tours I'd get off, well, that's it. That you're Now what? Yeah. You know, so I would teach drum lessons. I would call Perfect World and go, give me some gigs. So that's how I met Jerry Finn. And uh, we had a band together with, I call him David Lee Ralph. That's Ralph Sains from Steel Panther. Right. And Michael I was Star. Michael Starr, yeah. I was, I was the original drummer in Metal Shop, which was now, or which is now. I think I saw you. I saw two Metal Shop shows at the Viper Room. That's me. Did I have a, a Target shirt on? Yeah. Nikki Six looking hair? Yeah. See, so yeah, I did it all. 2001? I was a drum slut for a long right, time. 2001, 2002? <laughs> Oh, yeah. That yeah, was yeah. me. I saw you. That was me. All uh, right. Yeah. I think Johnny Depp showed up to our show. That's, night. yep, absolutely. Everyone. Steven Tyler, Chad Smith, Meatloaf. Yep. I mean, you name it. It was people. And uh, anyway, that's how I paid bills. That's how I paid. I would do these gigs. And then the corporate gigs would pay a lot more. I mean, we were making some really serious dough. Yep. And a lot of my friends are like, that were doing construction. We're like, dude, what are you doing, man? You're putting, oh, come on. I'm like, I'm playing drums for a living. And you're working construction. I want to play music. This is all I want to do. So 
hence I got to meet great people like Jerry, you know. And when Jerry, I was a huge Killer Dwarves fan back in the day. My first three CDs, remember when CDs first came out? Yeah. I was like, what the heck? This isn't all on this disc. There's no way. David Lee Ross Skyscraper, Killer Dwarves Big Deal. Big Deal. Keep the spirit alive. Right? right? And Kiss Love Gun. That was my first three CDs. So it was like, and I just remember looking at them going like, what? I didn't even know, barely knew who the Killer Doors were at that time. And I just loved the music. And then when Jerry said, hey, I'm, I joined the Killer Doors, I'm like, no way. Yeah. So. By the way, what, what's amazing about that, I, we were out in November and we were with management of, of this band who does all these great 80s bands. And, they, and they're all doing club gigs for like 3000 bucks. Yeah. And he's like, but I have a Journey tribute. And I go, oh, we get $75,000 for corporate gigs. And I'm like. Yeah. What? (laughs) Your your journey tribute makes about eighteen times more than. Yeah. Right. Uh, Oh, so yeah, that that's actually a kind of a good gig. Um, just and just we're gonna start wrapping up. But do you see yourself at some point wanting to do something uh, solo in terms of you know like a Buddy Rich or some kind of drum thing or just get out there and have your own band with its own vision. I know with KXM, you, you sort of have three visions split. With with Corn, yeah. it's a band thing. Do you want to have a creative control of a project where you're the star? Yeah, there was there was times back in the like my 30s where I was playing more guitar than drums because I was always like intimidated. I'm like, I can't play guitar. Then I picked the guitar up one day. I'm like, I can, I'm okay with it. I can write songs. I'm not, I didn't practice enough. But then I, I got myself a little mini studio and I started I would get done with drums in five minutes and then sit there all day and hacking through guitar and bass because uh, writing songs. And so I have a big vat of stuff that I've written, you know, that I would love to. I'm, I'm in the process now of going back and transferring it to Pro Tools, the good stuff and leaving the, the crap or whatever. But, yeah, I, d- I definitely want to do I've had a couple of small labels offer. Hey, why don't you do a Ray Luzier solo record and get all your friends to play on it? Because I know a ton of people in the right. business. And I think yeah, I get David Lee Roth. There he goes. See what he about. Get Dave on there. <laughs> I don't think he'd charge me. That'd be, I don't know, be an enormous amount. Now. Would, would he take your call though? He, w- he would. I saw him on a plane a couple years back, and it was it was really good to see him. And ran into him, and he was going one way, and I was going the other. And Jonathan Davis was in front and he never, never met Dave before and I introduced those two and he was how are you doing friend and and John's like kick ass man it's good to meet you you know it was like this whole it was weird because two of the biggest front men right. sitting next to each other in first class and I bet you one of the front men was starstruck yes he was yeah <laughs> absolutely yep yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I'll finish with this. Uh, of course, you're with Dave's band, and I love talking about Dave's band. Have you heard any unreleased Van Halen stuff? Is that something that you had access to? Did Dave sit you in the car and pop in a CD of unreleased Diver Down demos or something? Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in his house. We did this crazy, crazy movie. It's very rare if you can oh, ever find hot dog and shake or whatever. No, no, but, um, it's no holds barbecue. Right, that's it. Have you ever heard it? Yeah, I've seen it. You've seen it. Yes, it's crazy, right? Yes. I mean, it's out there. We spent oh. a spent a lot, a lot of money hiring Playboy playmates and and little people and I, stuff. I don't even know it's kind of it's, it's freaking wow. crazy. He's like, you know, the Dom triplets would be over there, and you're like, I think that's how we met because I remember having some press agent saying Dave has a movie coming out. You want to do an interview, and I remember them going, "Well, Dave's not available for interviews." But I think that's—I I actually think that's how we, the bongo player is. Yeah, so, yeah. I think that's how yeah. it came up. Yeah. So it, you know, it was bizarre because it was like rich guy having fun with his money. You know, would go over there and he spent almost a million dollars on it. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's like, like 1995. Yeah, this is like yeah, it's a lot of dang money. But he, 
uh, what were you asking me in the first place? I just thought I started thinking about all the movie oh, stuff, and it's no, just so bizarre. Me, uh, you were telling me about how you've had access to Dave's. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, th- we shot it at his house. So I mean, he would ship like like five ton of sand and put it on his tennis court to recreate a beach scene for the playmates and then he would it's that's out of control i mean it's like we built a life-size boom box like a cassette player and when the cassette would open the band was in there playing and it was just bizarre so anyway we we uh when i was over there a lot he's got these vaults in his office of just mass van halen from when they were at gazari's playing covers to B-sides, to everything in between, rare live shows. And I would just pop stuff in random in a boombox. And, and amazing, like just insane. Because I'm a huge VH fan. I mean, Alex is one of the reasons I play today, along with all my Neil Peart's and, you know, Peter Chris's. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's, Dave's one of, there will never be another David Lee Roth. I mean, there's there's a lot of great front men out there. I pl- I happen to be fortunate enough to be in a band with one now. He's one of my favorite. Jonathan Davis is one of my all-time favorites. Dave just has a thing that that rock star thing mm-hmm. of well, he, all he defines it. There, there's of all the bands coming out today. There's not that thing. You know what I mean? They, it doesn't mean they're not good or they don't have a no. great stage presence. There's just a thing that he had that I don't know if it'll ever be like that. No, anyway. I agree. Listen, when when David Lee Roth walks into a rocks uh, into a room, people go. It's a rock star here. Right. Now when the guy walks in, they go, hey, the singer of so-and-so just walked right, right, right. in. It's yeah. very different. It is, man. It is. And that's not taking anything away. It's just changed a lot, you know, yeah. into 2020. And and that's just the way it is, you know. So, On that, thank you, Ray. Always, always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, have a great show in uh, Montreal. And there yeah. you go. Good to be back, man. Buzzy, buzzy, bop. Buzzy, buzzy, bop. <laughs> Make sure you pick up the nothing. And uh, yeah. KXM Circle Dolls. Circle of Dolls. Out now. Cool. Oh, we got corn coffee too. We got corn coffee. We got we just released a wired blend that's amazing. You coffee freaks out there, go to cornwebstore.com and uh, you, you can get them both on there. Um, there's a dark roast in the green bag, and we just released wired blend that looks kind of like the album cover. It's really cool. Oh, good. I'm a huge coffee fan, so there thank you, you for that. And uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. You too. Cheers. There you go. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.